The Soul of an Internet Machine, a podcast journaling the adventures of a business and a software development team figuring their way through the challenges of launching a new venture. We make the occasional good decision, spend time following bad ones, and get trapped by world events. Ping me, Christina Moore, on Twitter at Seymour underbar SP. That's Charlie Mike, C-M-O-O-R-E underbar SP, or at the website, ChristinaMoore.us. Chapter 2, The Cloud. The cloud does not have a birthday. The internet does. The web browser and HTML do. The internet protocol IP does. The cloud, not so much. During our lunch walk up and over the near hill, I asked our Rachel, what is the cloud? The internet's in wires and the cloud is in the sky. The cloud is the place they want you to store stuff and seems slightly less secure. Rachel, at 36 years of age, holds a master's degree from Rutgers. Now I understand the starting point. How come poor cloud has no birthday? We, we the IT people, took a cheap shortcut when drawing pictures of networks and buildings and campuses. We made boxes and connected them with lines looking nothing like Google Maps, but something like a silly drawing with square-edged boxes and very straight lines. This being the stick people equivalent to the drawings that other types of engineers make. When we finished, or started our drawings, we connected it to the cloud. We dropped a picture of a cloud at the edge of the paper. I was doing this as far back as 1995. IT people defined that other place, or that faraway place, or the rest of the world, with one simple icon for a cloud. This is here, and there is there. When we drew a picture of there, it was a cloud. That icon never represented anything but a nebulous, amorphic, impossible-to-touch entity. The cloud shows in computer science and marketing literature for decades, long before 1989 when Tim Berners-Lee proposed hypertext and the World Wide Web. The first website was published on the 20th of December, 1990. The cloud icon was used even before the Internet Protocol was vaguely defined in 1974. The forerunner to the Internet was called ARPANET, and it can claim 1966 as its birth year. Our walk through the autumnal forest took place on a cloudless day. The sky today is a stunning blue, postcard blue. As Rachel explained the cloud to me, she pointed skyward. Netflix comes from the cloud, and my iPhone, she says, stores pictures on the cloud. And when things go wrong between the phone and the cloud, you just wait. It was about then that her phone got the daily batch of text messages. There is a spot on top of that hill where Rachel gets just enough cellular coverage to fetch text messages. We pause while she scans them, then walk on. She does ask, as we're starting down the far side of the hill, how come all of these don't come when I'm on Wi-Fi at the house? I shrug. That's just Apple being Apple. They don't play well with others. Those text messages queued up in the cloud waiting and hoping that Rachel would appear on the top of our hill. Then there are those damned blue spinnies when watching TV of an evening. Oh, and when I push one of my podcast episodes to the cloud, I entirely kill my network. My music stops and I may as well pace the yard. This is the starting point. I will strive towards a better and more complete definition for the cloud and a definition that will meet the rigors of my technical peers while sating the intellectual curiosity of others. The cloud remains amorphic. 
Definition 1. The cloud is some remote place that stores data such as pictures, movies, words, numbers, and files. A good foundation. If everyone stored and retrieved data from the cloud with equal ease and equal speed, then the cloud would be at the center of the internet. Normally, if your connection speeds are slower or non-existent, it is because of where you are and where you live and where you're standing. In 2020, I would have preferred that our house was on top of the hill where the cellular reception is. Instead, it is lower down where the power lines are. That's a trade-off. In this episode, I'm going to say that the cloud is the center of the internet, and I'm going to say it about 14 times. So Kelly, what is the cloud? The cloud is the center of the internet. So we can ignore all of my things about 500 milliseconds. That's just background and flavor, right? Awesome. Thank you, Kelly. Listen, team, the universe is infinitely large and growing, yet somehow has no edges. I learned that in school. I grew up with an astrophysicist as a dear and close friend of the family. While tennis was a more common destination for summer outings, the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics was popular with our clade. My first class in astrophysics was in eighth grade in 1977. And due to the odd form of our household, black holes and x-ray telescopes got discussed at the dinner table. That was also my very last class in astrophysics, too. The Internet is also infinitely large and growing, and yet somehow has no edges. We're launching dozens of satellites into the sky to expand the internet there. I am okay saying that there is a center of the internet. This is exactly as true, or not true, as saying there is a center of the universe. Ask the mathematician if nearly every home, office, and mobile phone gets the data they need at nearly the same time, then each home, office, and mobile phone is equidistant from the center of the internet. All human beings and their dogs are roughly 6,371 kilometers from the same point. Every one of us and our dogs are equidistant from that place. That place is the center of the earth. So if every single one of us can ping the center of the internet in 50 milliseconds, then bingo, we are a brief 50 milliseconds from the center of the internet. We want websites to load quickly. Blue spinny circles disturbs our movie watching experience. Years ago, the internet had no center. Oh, I'm not going to get all Genesis on you. You're just practical. Commerce was lured to the center of the internet starting in the mid-2000s. There are millions and billions of reasons for this, primarily the millions and billions one can earn. Inside Podcast Flow, we entirely depend on being at the center of the internet. You find us via a website, which sends you to a website extolling the amazing and important virtues of Podcast Flow or one of our courses. And forgive the hint of snark related to the language and tricks of marketeers and my friend Kelly. From this website, we send you to a buy page to buy our product and enter your credit card. Within a half a second, 500 milliseconds, your credit card is processed and our system sends your information to a firm that helps us identify users and track what permissions they have. Within milliseconds, we establish account for you. And in that same second, we establish your data profile in our Oracle database. There are four entirely separate firms simultaneously engaged in the buying process. 
We expect each of these firms to respond to us via the internet within milliseconds. This works because we are all located together at the center of the internet. The speed of our connections and the size of the circuits connecting our firms are massive. These systems behave as if they are in the same building. There is zero tolerance for blue spinnies here in the center of the internet. A decade ago, when I designed and wrote the first version of Tempest Gems, a grant management system, I wrote in a language that I first learned in the mid-1980s. I used a database system developed in the 1970s. I used techniques to optimize speed learned over decades of experience with the internet and software development. Of course, the application was fast and gorgeous on people's browsers because of Oracle Apex. In time, I wrote a link to FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. We pulled and do pull grant data from FEMA. We do it once per day. The data we get is about three days old. And that is good enough. This is how we all worked for decades. The internet was never really fast enough nor reliable enough to expect real-time data. We all shared data when we could as best as we could, and it was called best effort. We had to engineer tolerance for failure and slow data rates. The first people to convene at the center of the internet were traders in stocks and bonds. They can make millions by being milliseconds ahead of a trend. Those of us working with grant data, auto parts, shipping waybills, even medical data, we never expected services to be measured in milliseconds. When working with international shipping of freight during the mid-1990s, as long as the data about the freight arrived before the airplanes carrying the goods, we were doing pretty well. When I deployed a telemedicine application on rural Alaska for the Indian Health Service in the late 1990s, we had time to pour a warm cup of Earl Grey between asking for an x-ray image and it appearing on the screen. We moved large data from one edge of the internet to another edge of the internet. We understood it took time for this movement to happen. The internet was a series of tubes. This is what Ted Stevens, the senator representing Alaska, had said. He said that in 2006. Coincidentally, Uncle Ted, Ted Stevens, was the individual solely responsible for all of my projects in Alaska, including the telemedicine system we deployed in 1998 and 1999. Our projects had to ask Uncle Ted for more money to build these tubes and pipes into the far reaches of Alaska. To politicians and medical staff, we had to explain light speed and distance and all of the challenges of the Internet. The X-ray image started in Anchorage, then went to a satellite, then down and then across town, then to a computer. There were very serious challenges moving big data from one edge of the Internet to the other edge of the Internet. It takes time. Time you could measure in seconds. Podcast flow cannot wait two seconds for a credit card to process. That would cause your browser to spin slowly. If each task of setting up an account took one, two, or three seconds, then that could total a 10-second delay. 10 seconds is the time it takes me to read a short paragraph. 10 seconds is enough time for you to notice a significant delay on your browser. When we processed a credit card from Puerto Rico yesterday, it took 523 milliseconds, about the same amount of time it takes for me to say the word one. We won't set up your account with Podcast Flow until we've gotten confirmation that you have paid. 
as we set up your account, we send the data to Okta to set up your identity account there. That could take a few milliseconds. We want to set up your entire account, then trigger your welcome emails within a second. Your first email should arrive at about the same time as the receipt appears on the website. In 2013 and 2014, when designing Tempest Gems, I built a machine that runs on the internet. It uses the internet as if it were a series of tubes. You could work via a browser on your desktop or laptop. The data got stored in our database. The architecture is so classic, I recognize its roots going back to the beginning of computing. Over here is a terminal with you working. Over here is the database. There you go. Done. With the internet, we stretch the distance between terminal and database. With time, the terminals became more sophisticated, more colorful, and bigger, and smaller. That's just industrial evolution at work. In 2020, the architecture of our software, Podcast Flow, expands beyond our own computers, beyond our own firm. We are pushing and pulling data from other firms with perfect reliability, with amazing speed, and with no practical limitation on the size of the data. Instead of building a machine that runs via the internet, that treats the internet as a series of tubes, we built a machine that runs within the core of the internet itself. We are no longer just passing data between a server in the sky, as Rachel called it, and your workspace. No, the architecture of our machine, our software, 100% depends on all of our partner services operating with the same speed and efficiency that we do. In the old days, such as a decade ago, if we had a system that had a 100% reliance on some data, you fetched it and stored it. They were them, and we were us. Today, in a fully integrated internet machine, their tools are our tools. Their data are our data. The user experience is a fully integrated internet machine that operates smoothly. The software developer building these machines will invest a significant time on sharing data efficiently. It is as if the backbone or the skeleton of software blends into the internet. Think Borg or Cyborg or Bionics. I once wrote software that worked handsomely within a boring little Oracle database. I own the Oracle. I own the computer server that Oracle ran on. Today, I write software that trusts and relies the internet just as if I owned the internet. I don't own the internet. We pay for this experience. We pay to put our technology right there in the center of the internet. When I reach to a bank to process a credit card, I get a response 100% of the time done within the blink of a human eye. That bank is not somewhere else. It is at my fingertip right now all the time. I write my own software to manage the banking. Then I do the same with our other partners. It is our company software pulling and pushing data to the banks and partners. We own that process. We manage that process. We must support that process. This level of integration at the center of the internet, the protocols that allow us to share data at light speed, the shared interdependence of commerce is the cloud. Amazon Web Services, AWS, recognizes 2006 as a starting point for several cloud-based services. By 2016, cloud-based computing 
and a real sense of trust of wire speed services between vendors gelled. In the early days, it was exotic and expensive to be at the center of the internet. In 2020, it is likely the cheapest and most efficient way of providing data services to any organization for nearly any reason. In future chapters, I will explore the center of the internet, the technology there, the tricks of the trade, and the clever tricks used to make it efficient. The Soul of an Internet Machine is a copyrighted production of Fire Media LLC, 2020, all rights reserved. You can find me at my website, christinamore.us. Email is okay too, christina at christinamore.us. Mm-hmm.